This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. morning. If anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand so we can get you one. We're continuing our new series through the Gospel of Matthew, the series entitled Forsaken Kingdom, focusing, as Matthew did, on this kingdom philosophy, this kingdom mentality, the kingdom thinking. And as we started off or kicked off last Sunday, this are you the king or queen of your own kingdom? I think it's fostered in our culture to think that we're really ultimately the kings and queens of our own destiny, but there's a submitting of ourselves. There needs to be a submitting of ourselves to God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he says all these things will be added unto us. Amen. If you need a Bible... Raise your hand so we can get you one. Nobody? All right, just double check in. And then before we start, I want to bring up a couple things. Number one, we're going to pray right now before we get into the study for Hurricane Dorian. Um, the people that are going to be affected by that, our hearts go out to them. We don't know what it's like to have hurricanes in Las Vegas, even though sometimes I wish we did because we'd get more rain. I know that's a terrible thing to say, so judge me or forgive me. I appreciate the latter. Um, but we do have rain coming up, and the temperatures are going to drop this next week. So today's the last hottest day of the year. If that's a prophecy, I, I'm okay with that, but I'm speaking that into September. Oh, by the way, happy September, September 1st. I'm pretty blessed and excited for September. And then also Hurricane Dorian, and I don't know if many of you know or saw the news yesterday evening, but there was a shooting, another shooting in Texas. So we're going to pray for those people. And I want to encourage you guys, especially, I just think that it's crazy how timely it's God how timely these Bible studies are, focusing on the kingdom of God rather than our own personal kingdoms or the kingdom that we live in, which is the good old U.S. of A., which is great. We love it, but things are in disrepair, and we're going through some, some serious stuff. I don't know what these people are thinking. They're out of their minds or influenced by Satan but to, to just go and take people's lives is pretty inconceivable. It's pretty crazy. So we'll pray for those victims. But I wanted to let you know, in light of the study and the kingdom of God, 
I wanted to let you know that there's a lot of fear-mongering out there right now. Do you guys feel the fear the fear-mongering in the news and people talking about how there's a recession coming and people are dying and all Listen, I don't want you to buy into the fear and lies of the enemy. Throughout history, I've uh, there's this one time in my life where I studied through all of the major revivals that happened throughout history. And throughout history, it got so dark and bleak every single time right before a great awakening or revival happened. So I am hoping in God for as difficult and as troublesome as these days are, I'm hoping and expecting in God for another outpouring of his Holy Spirit so that people can come to know him. And it's not just the bad stuff that's happening. It's the good stuff that he has in store for us as well. Amen? Connected to the kingdom of God, not to these kingdoms that have nothing to offer you or I, but the kingdom of God. So let's go to the Lord now in in prayer. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for your church, God, and these, these families, these young families, these babies, God, that you love so greatly, that you've, that you've, saved and set apart for good things for your kingdom and your righteousness. God, we lift up the people that are affected by this hurricane. And and we would like to pray in, in the flesh, God, we would like to pray that you would spare them some kind of physical harm. But in reality, We pray for your church in that area to be mobilized to serve and love those people that are affected to the degree that they're moved to become citizens of your kingdom. To see the love of your heart and to respond to it by submitting themselves to you. And that's what we want to move us. We want to be moved by your love rather than guilt or condemnation or hell. We want to be moved by your love. We want to be affected by your love. And we want to love others in the name of your love for us. So God, give your church in that area that supernatural ability that even in disaster, they would step up and pour out their resources into those who are affected by the storm for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And God, we pray for these maniacs that think that they can go around and murder and take people's lives. We pray, Lord, that you would just prohibit the enemy from influencing them to steal, kill, and destroy, which is what the enemy's prerogative is. We understand that. But God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our country. We pray for these people who are affected by this tragedy in Texas. And that again, that you would mobilize your church to love and have compassion on these people and help them to move them to a place of understanding who you are, your goodness, and even a submission to you. Thank you for your word for us today, that we would have 
fertile soil in our hearts to receive your word and that it would produce fruit. You are good, and we love to see the fruit that you produce through our lives as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that, uh, this is neither here nor there, but one of the things I really love about you guys, one of the things I really love about our church is that not only have we seen an increase numerically between our three services on Sunday, but we've also seen uh, an increase in fruit on your behalf. As you receive the word of God on fertile soil, you produce fruit. And that, to me, is one of the biggest blessings of being in ministry in general. So thank you for your willingness to submit to God and for the fruit that you produce to his glory. Amen. Does that make sense? Are you guys awake? Are you with me? September 1st, it's not August anymore. So let's get with the program, okay? We're going to do good. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're studying through the gospel of Matthew, and I hope that it doesn't become redundant. I really hope it doesn't because this message is so important. But really, as we spoke about last week in kicking off this series of Forsaken Kingdom, I really hope that you guys get a grasp of and don't get tired of hearing about the importance of God's kingdom in your life. And it used to be obscure to me. It used to be kind of far off and, and, and not easily understandable that God's desire for me was that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that his will would be done in my life personally, more so than my own personal will for my life more so than me sitting on the throne of my own kingdom, me building something that I want to accomplish in life. And I think that every single one of us, because our culture cultivates it, I think every single one of us can identify with the removal of ourselves from the throne of our own kingdom and placing God on his rightful throne the where, the, where he should be for his kingdom to come and his will be done because it's so important. And we see it throughout the whole gospel of Matthew. The title of today's message, Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18, is survival of the fittest. You guys are familiar with that, right? Survival of the fittest. And the question that I would have to ask you is, how do you respond this is what's in our text this morning. How do you respond when your kingdom is threatened? And you know what I mean by your kingdom. I mean your will, your position on the throne. How do you respond when your authority over your own life, how do you respond when that's threatened? It's questioned. It's poked. It's prodded. And connected to survival of the fittest is fight, flight. You guys know fight or flight? You follow in the theme, you get the picture. Fight, flight, or I'd like to give you a third option this morning. It's not just fight or flight for you as a believer in God's kingdom. It's fight, flight, or delight. 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 
not in what is happening with you or what you want, but in submission to God, knowing that he's working all things out for good for those who love him and that are called according to his purpose, you're delighting in the season that he has you in because you are expecting, even though it's hard right now, good things through the season or to culminate in the end of that season, you're, you're, you're expecting good things. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. I hate to say there's so many good Psalms, but this Psalm chapter one is so dear to my heart. And I hate to say it's one of my favorite Psalms because it's, the, it's Psalm number one. You know, it's like, it's the first Psalm. It better be special, but it is very dear to my heart. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? Look at that again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his, what? Delight. He's not afraid. He's not running away. He's not puffing his chest up, ripping his shirt off to defend his honor, to fight his delight is in the law of the Lord. And when your confidence, when my confidence is in God's word, your perspective will always be different from this world, which says that you have to fight for the right to party. That's what the world says. But God says, I don't want you to fight for the right. I don't want you to fear I don't want you to flee. I want you to delight in what my purposes are for you because they're good. So I want you this morning to take that into consideration. And I jotted this down for you. You don't always throw these slides up just like as a quote from Tim. This is what Tim said on Sunday. But if you guys want to post it on social media, I'm totally cool with that. All right. We should never react to a challenge in our life. We must learn to respond. Reacting engages your defense mechanism to fight or flight. Responding allows you to trust the Lord. Delight in knowing he's going to take care of you. Don't engage that natural defense mechanism which is what they say flight and flight is. They say it's a natural defense mechanism. Don't engage it by deducing how you're gonna take care of yourself, whether by fleeing or fighting, but trust God that he's going to take care of you, that he's going to have your best interests in heart and he's going to see through, he's going to see you through what you need to see and what you need to go through, remember our study through First Peter, the trials that you find yourself in, the fiery trials, if necessary. 
because God sees you going through difficulty and through discipline and through fiery trials. He sees it from time to time as necessary for you. He's like, I ah, need to go through this, you know. Psalm chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. <coughs> trust in the Lord. Remember, we just talked about trust. God's going to take care of you. You don't have to defend yourself or take care of yourself. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. This is another one of my favorite Psalms, by the way. They're all my favorites. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. What does it say? It says, take matters into your own hands. Figure out how to make your kingdom as successful as possible. It does not say those things. What does it start off that sentence with? What word? Trust. And then the next sentence? Delight. Fight, flight. Delight yourself. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There's not one of you here this morning that would contradict me or oppose me in saying that you would like to receive the desires of your heart. Testify. Amen. You'd say, yeah, I want the desires of my heart. Well, I tell you that if you focus on your own kingdom and your own purposes and your own desires, you will have no delight. You will have sorrow. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, in his kingdom, in his will, in his purposes, you will have the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Oh, that's such a beautiful verse. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm for evil, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Do you know what God's intention is for you? It's, it's for peace. It's for your inheritance to be connected to his kingdom. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. That's good news. He wants you to understand that your inheritance is peace and is directly connected to your, to his intention for you, his kingdom. Think about these things as we enter into Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> and we're going to see a few examples of how people respond. Five examples, if you're a note taker and you're jotting these things down. Five people's responses to God's kingdom coming 
in opposition to their own kingdom, in opposition to their own will, their own expectations, their own wants, their own, if we look at back at Psalm 37 again, their own desires. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now the first thing that we need to take note here of, and we're going to talk about a little bit more a few verses after this, is that Mary was a virgin. She had not been with a man. She was a special lady. And we saw that last week in the, in, in the, uh, the lineage of Jesus Christ. Remember the five women that we talked about and how each one of them had a different place in God's plan? And we had, we had harlots and liars and adulteresses. We had these kinds of, of ladies that God so loved that he brought in to be part of his kingdom plan and to demonstrate that we all can identify with one of those ladies and fall short. And I think that it's important that we identify with Mary also. We're not going to hold her to a higher standard because she was part of the list of other women who had, who had made mistakes. Mary was a special lady and she had not been with a man, but she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, if we were to identify with Joseph, which I love how the Gospel of Matthew starts out with this focus on Joseph. If we were to identify with Joseph, how would we do so? I tell you how I would because I'm just a guy and, you know, in, in, in the carnality of my mind, if I'm betrothed to, engaged to, intending to take a certain young lady as my wife and I find out that she's pregnant, I would not be very happy. How many of you would be pretty, you know, okay with that? Eh, whatever, you know, you got pregnant, no big deal. My kingdom would be threatened. I had a plan. This was a woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And my family agreed with me. And who is this person that impregnated you? Because I'm going to kill him. And then by the way, I'm going to say, you may have had some kind of hand in it and, and you're, you're, you're dirty. And I want everybody to know that it's not my fault that my kingdom's not being advanced. It's your fault. You did this, but this is not the process of thinking that Joseph went through, is it? It's not the way that he worked through the bad news of his betrothed virgin wife being pregnant because it was listed, it was said that he is a just man. And I don't know why the translators decided to use this word because I don't think that it rightly represents Joseph, but it does. It doesn't matter what I think. It's what the Bible says and what's God, what God's word says. I don't know if, if, if I would use the word just in the way that, that Joseph dealt with Mary if any other 
circumstance was that she got pregnant besides of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't know that at this time. Are you guys following me? He didn't know. We'll see that there is revelation to him. But knowing, finding out that she was pregnant and, and it's calling him a just man, the, the, the other way that you can translate this, excuse me, my throat's still a little funky. The other way that you can translate this and most of the other translations do is righteous man. And, and you know that if, if it says that he, was, that, that he was a righteous man, is that he did things right. He did things rightly. And it was right for him to deal with Mary the way that he was going to deal with her before he knew that it was a divine experience. He says, I'm not going to expose you. I'm not going to treat you poorly. I'm going to put you away secretly. And if you could say for Joseph, how he responded to his kingdom being threatened, is he going to fight? Which is the example I gave you at first. I would fight. I'd be like, yo, dirty. I can't say those things in church. (laughs) Or fight or flight. What does he do? How does he respond? He, he chooses the flight. He's going to get out of the situation without right representation of God is actually doing something through the process. If, if you follow me, let's look at the text again in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. That's directly connected to the flight, okay? He's gonna just cover up, run away from the situation, not be a part of it. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. As he was contemplating, he was pondering his response. The consideration of his kingdom being threatened, the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. I love how the Bible, God's word, over and over and over again Old Testament, New Testament is so encouraging. We're going through Judges on Wednesday night, and we just finished Gideon a few weeks ago. And I just love, you know, Gideon was the, was the, the, his house, his family was the least, they said, he said in Israel, and he was the least, and he's hiding in a wine press threshing grain because he's scared to do it out publicly because he'd be um, killed by the enemy. So he's hiding and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, mighty man of valor. I can identify more with God approaching me and saying, hey, Tim, I know you're a weak, worthless piece of garbage, but I'm going to do great things through you. (laughs) I can identify with that. Okay, thanks, Lord. But when the Lord approaches me in confidence and says, mighty man of valor, or this is what he says to Joseph, son of David, do you know what that meant to Joseph? It meant he was a descendant of the king, that he was directly connected to kingly lineage. And he says, you, son of David, Take heart because I've called you to good things. And that's what he says to you and to me. 
through our lives, when we feel worthless, when we feel like we're nothing, when we feel like Job said, I am a worm and not a man, God says, you are good, you are righteous, you are mighty, you are a warrior, you're a son of David to set us up in the right perspective, the right process of thinking to fulfill his purposes for his kingdom in and through our lives. Do you guys, do you guys get that? You get that? You know that God has good things to speak over you. I'm not good. I don't do well with the, with the doom and gloomers, the naysayers. I don't do with them. I yell at them sometimes. And I'm like, you just (sighs) shut your mouth. Stop talking about destruction and judgment. You've been rescued. And you can give people hope rather than trying to encourage them to submit to God because of fear of judgment. There's no room for that in the gospel message. Jesus never did it. He always pursued people in love. And yes, there's a place for judgment and we should respond to it the way that we should. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be disciplined but I'm much more willing to submit to God in his passionate love for me than I am am for his necessary need to to spank me, to discipline me. And, And in my experience as a father, I'll speak on behalf of the father, in my experience, my kids always respond much better to my love for them than my judgment of them to my despise of their deeds. They get it. They know that it's wrong. They know that it's not healthy. It's not good. And their dad is not pleased with it. But when I love them, their faces just, they light up. And that's the same that God wants for you. He wants you to know that you are a son. You are a daughter of King David. (laughs) You are a mighty woman of valor. You are identified with those five who are identified in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And he wants you to be part of his kingdom to its benefit, not to its detriment. Do not be afraid, son of David. Who is that which wants you to be afraid? Are you afraid? When your kingdom is challenged, when your position is threatened, who is that who desires that you would fear the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy? He wants you to be threatened. He wants you to push back on God and say, this isn't okay. This isn't right. Why is this happening to me? He wants you to take your kingdom in your own hands. Just like he took Jesus to the highest pinnacle of the temple. And he said, look out to all the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus said, I will, uh, the scripture says, is only to God that you will bow and worship and him alone. Satan would like to offer you through fear your response to submit to him or serve your own kingdom. God wants you to understand that he only has good things in store for you. 
He only has good things in store for you by submitting yourself to his kingdom and his righteousness so all those things could be added unto you. Only good things. Do not be afraid, Joseph. Your kingdom is shaken. Your wife is with child. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The kingdom of God, this is, this is so good, you guys, listen. This is so good. The kingdom of God in your life, the intentions of God, God's kingdom is to bring salvation. Not salvation in the eternal sense, like, Someday I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. I really can't stand when people's position in preaching the gospel is from the eternal sense. This is from the immediate sense. That God wants to give you eternal life starting today. He wants to bring salvation in your life starting today. And the kingdom of God in your life as you dethrone yourself you depose yourself as king in your own kingdom and place Jesus on the throne as he rightfully should be. What you're doing is you're placing yourself in a position to receive salvation from God on a daily basis. Do you guys experience salvation on a daily, on a daily basis? I do. I'm like, man, Lord, you saved me today. If it wasn't for you, I would have killed that guy that cut me off. He'd be dead. I'd be in jail. And my wife would cry. I experience salvation on a daily basis. And when you allow the kingdom of God to have precedence in your life over your own kingship of your own kingdom, you will experience it as well. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Verse 22. <clears throat> so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I think sometimes we glance over that a little bit too quickly. Can we read that again? Think about this as we read it, okay? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, capital S, son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus said, it's better for me to depart. Remember, he said, it's better for me to depart than to stay with you because when I leave, I'm gonna give you the gift of the Holy Spirit and he's gonna lead you in all truth. I'm blending some verses together, but that's the, the, the point is, 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 is better for all of you to have the gift of the Holy Spirit than for me to stay with you singularly because the power and presence of God is going to be among you. Can I speak that into your guys' life today? As you go out into the 109 degree temperature, the last hottest summer day of this year, as you go out, you go out in the presence and power of God Almighty. Because Emmanuel, God is with us. 
And every exchange that you have with every person, God has allowed you to have to be a part of his kingdom, to love people in a way that they've never been loved before. You realize that the, the, the world doesn't know how to love, right? The world equates love with lust. They don't get it any other way. Paying it forward and all that garbage, it's, it's, it's short-lived. But the love of God has been so manifest and poured out in your hearts and lives that you can go out and love other people. I can't do it. But the word for you is God is with us. God is with you. And you go out in his presence because Jesus saved you and he's saving you because he's saving me. And he wants you to be a citizen. He wants you to partake in the kingdom of hope. That's what God's kingdom is. It's a kingdom of expectation in him that good things are gonna come. But you know what the kingdom of this world is? The kingdom of despair, the kingdom of sorrow, the kingdom of grief, the kingdom of what's gonna happen in 2020. Where's our country gonna go? And God does not want you to settle your heart on those realities. He wants you to settle your heart on the reality that he is king rightfully and that he has good things in store. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but I don't feel like we get it so often. I don't feel like we really receive and settle down on the fact that God has good things for us as being citizens and part of his kingdom. Remember Matthew. Matthew was what? He was a tax collector. He had forsaken his heritage. He identified with the occupying enemy and people hated him for it. And here he writes to us about God's kingdom and God's plan and purpose through fulfilling his kingdom through us. And his son shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. <clears throat> Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have the obedience. We have something else here, something that might cause us a little discomfort on a Sunday morning Bible study. Pastor Tim doesn't really need to point this out, but he does. Sorry. Mary was a great gal. She was chosen by God to bring forth his son. Mary was not perfect, contrary to, and I've really hesitated in saying things like this in the past, but I'm not hesitating at all today to say this, and I'll say it to everybody who's watching with us. Mary was not perfect, and contrary to the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, she was not sinless, and she did not assume her place in heaven and did not die because she was sinless. And this is one of the verses that we can look at and see specifically that she was just a, a normal person to some extent as you and I. What does it say? It says that the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, Joseph, and did not know her until he had brought forth her firstborn son. The key words is until she brought forth her firstborn son. What does this indicate? What does this mean? That Joseph and Mary did have relation, intimate relationships. Whenever we see the term to know in the Bible, 
You know what it means? <laughs> this is the awkward part I was talking about. Sorry for the buildup. But they, they had personal, intimate relationships, and she had other children. And the reason I want to point this out is because the, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is that she's perfect, and they take worship away from Jesus and, and, and focus it on Mary as some kind of co-redemptrix, redemptress, and, and co-savior, and it's, it, we, we can never give her that place. She was a person that God used, just like he used those five other women last week that we talked about. And Joseph and Mary consummated their marriage and they had other children. This is one verse that supports other verses that indicate that, that she had kids. So that's for your theological consumption. If you ever do find yourself in debate with a Roman Catholic, you can say, hey, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter one. And did, did it mean that it says until she had kids? So did that mean that she never had actually in, it indicates that she did have relationship with her husband, which was to be expected and the focus, the whole point of why I'm saying this is the focus is on Jesus above everybody else, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And how did Mary respond? We see the scriptures pretty silent to her response, isn't it? She's submitted to God's will. She's not screaming, I'm going to yell, so get ready for it. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you make me pregnant and everybody's going to hate me? This isn't my kingdom plan for my life. I warned you because sometimes people jump when I yell like that. But Mary was submitted to God's purpose and his will. And she received his purpose and his will, even though it wasn't really ideal. Ideally, Bible scholars say she was probably 16, 17 years old. Ideally, she was betrothed to be married to this man, Joseph. Ideally, she wouldn't get pregnant before she was married to Joseph. But God had a specific intention for it. And he used her to the glory of his kingdom, not to the glory of hers. Chapter 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, take note of that, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This is in contrast to his kingship, take note of that. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was troubled. Why? Because his kingdom was being threatened. If you were king of a country and somebody came to you and said, hey, there's a Messiah coming, a king of the Jews. He's to be born soon. And uh, we came to pay him homage. We came to worship him. How would you feel? How do you feel when God approaches you and says, hey, this is what my plan and purpose is for your life. This is how my kingdom is going to be manifested in your life. And you're like, wait a second. I'm the king of my life. It's my destiny. It's my, through my purposes. 
We see the contrast to Joseph in Herod in that what does Joseph or what does Herod do? We'll see at the end of this study. He fights. He's not going to flight. He's not going to give up. I'll just put her away secretly and figure it out. No, the, the child that your wife to be has is of divine nature and you have to take her as wife. Oh, okay, I'll do it. The contrast for Herod is fight, preservation of my kingdom, defend. He's troubled. And it says the other people there also are troubled. Why? There's conflict coming. If anybody rises up to challenge the Roman government, there's a fight that's in the making. And I have to preserve my kingdom however I can. I'll never get this picture out of my head. It's so incredible. If you have not been to Israel, I'm going to be in Israel a week from yesterday. And I'm so looking forward to it. If you have not ever been to Israel, I would seriously pray about if the Lord would have you go with us next year because it will blow your mind. There's this mound of dirt in the middle of the desert. It's like literally a mountain of dirt that people piled up with a palace, a resort on the top. It's called Herodium. And it's just outside of Jerusalem. And Herod made this thing specifically in that spot, this huge, we had to walk around and hike up this huge mount of dirt to get up to the top of the palace for a retreat center for himself. Herod was known for building these great things architecturally for the people and for himself. And, and he built it at the top with baths and, and spas. And as you go up to the top and you're standing on the top and you see the whole valley, you see the area that the shepherds would have been tending the sheep and the angels appeared to at the birth of Christ. And you look over across this valley and the next kind of peak, it's not really a mountain, but it's kind of a hill. The next peak is none other than the town of what? Bethlehem. And he built his palace there, or not his palace, his, his, his uh, retreat. As people were migrating or, or going to Jerusalem, they would have to pass by and see his power, see his might. His kingdom was on display. And then this little village of Bethlehem, right across the way that you can see from the top of his monstrosity is where the king of kings was born in a lowly manger. He was given to us for our salvation, for our reconciliation, for our relationship with God. And I find it interesting that Herod was best known for his rebuilding or his supporting of the, the, the temple in Jerusalem when that temple was the one that was torn down. Jesus said, you guys look at this temple. Oh, everybody's like, oh, the temple's so sweet. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. He says, not one rock will be left on another. 70 AD, when the Romans overthrow Jerusalem and tear down the kingdom of man, which is clearly what the Jews had built for themselves through the gospels and set up the kingdom of God, which still exists today. You know why we're gathered here together on Sunday morning? Because of the kingdom of God has come in our hearts. We're submitted to it and accepting of what God has for us. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
all Jerusalem with him. Verse 5, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for, where's the Christ going to be born? They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judea are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship also. Liar. Spoiler alert. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Our response to being submitted to God's kingdom and his will in our lives will always be that of worship. It's not raising your hands or singing a song. It's a submitted heart and a confession with your heart and mouth that God, you are so good. I love you. And I want to be part of what your plan is and be part of your kingdom. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I like how we've seen that word divinely a few times. God has his hand in this process and he's going to prohibit the enemy from having a say in that plan or in that process. And I want you to know that God has the absolute ability to prohibit the enemy from having that say in your life that maybe he has had in the past. Maybe you've given yourself over to in the past. God is greater. You resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. You give in to the enemy and you, you'll be influenced in a way that is contrary to the kingdom of God. Satan so wants you to be the king and queen of your own kingdom. He so wants you to because you're setting yourself up in opposition to God and his good purposes, but he will prohibit the enemy from having a say. If you submit to him and resist the enemy, he'll flee from you. Now, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, excuse me, <clears throat> Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, I really love the fact that Jesus spent some time in Egypt I don't know if I'm weird, but I love the fact that the Son of God identified with his country by going to a place that they were in bondage because Jesus is the one who delivers from bondage. And, and over and over again in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, what is synonymous with whenever God brings Egypt up? He always brings them up. We're going through the, the book of Judges right now on Wednesday night and God's still bringing up Egypt. What does he refer to it as? He says, I delivered you from Egypt. 
He says, I delivered you from the household of bondage. And how we can always identify back to that. I'm being saved on a daily basis. I'm being sanctified. I'm being purified. I'm, I'm, I'm be, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ into the future. But I can always ultimately look back to the day that God delivered me from the household of bondage. And you can look back to the day that God delivered you from the household of bondage. And yeah, you'll trip and maybe you'll fall and maybe you'll struggle and you'll have difficulty, but God would point you back to the fact that you're no longer there. You were delivered. You were saved. You were brought out from the household of bondage. And Jesus can identify with you in that. He said, I spent some time in Egypt. <laughs> As a young boy, I saw what it was like. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then, he was then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Make no mistake that if you decide to fight against God's will, like Herod did, there's things that are going to die. And you are going to put to death things that ought to have life. Notice with me that as much as those children and as tragic and, and difficult it even is to read those verses and to consider that, he was so grasping, he was so, so clawing to remain king of his own kingdom. Notice with me, if you will, that with the death of those children who also died, he did, with the death of Herod, and he thinks that he wants to have a kingdom that lasts. And he thinks that he can build these structures that are going to go into, into the future and people are going to honor him or pay him reverence. But the verse still stands true and is definitive. Herod is dead. He's not the king of his own kingdom. He's not going to even have a lineage in the future the temple that he built is going to be torn down because the kingdom of God is going to come and it's going to change people to the degree that it's not only going to affect Jerusalem. It's not just going to affect Israel. It's not just going to affect the Middle East or Europe or Western, Eastern Europe or Africa. It's going to affect the kingdom of God is going to affect the entire planet. Think of how God has so brought his kingdom to this earth. And yeah, there are Christians, I will agree with you. There are people who identify as Christians who do not represent him well. But the reason I say that this morning is to say to you that you, as a son, as a daughter, part of his church, part of his kingdom, the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit will represent him well. You will. You will go out this week and you will love people. 
You will so depose yourself from your own kingdom that people will ask the question, why is that individual so special? And your response will be, but by the grace of God, but by God's grace, I am who I am today because he so loved me, because he so chose me, because he so called me, not on my own merits, but because of his goodness and because I've deposed myself from my own throne. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you that we can have confidence. We can have such clear confidence in your kingdom, in your will, in your purposes. We can have such clear confidence that we can depose ourselves. We can remove ourselves from being in control. We can remove ourselves from having an authority that is not even worthy that we place over ourselves. Yours alone is worthy. Yours alone is good. We love you, God. We thank you for your word to us today. We pray that, that, that what, what was just spoken, that it would be true, that it would be purposed this week, that we would go out as citizens, as sons, and as daughters of your kingdom, and we would love like you loved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.